All right, grab your Bibles if you have them. We're going to Romans chapter 16, verse 17 is where we're starting today, page 745, if you're using the Bibles on the chairs there around you, and, and uh, there should be some there around you. While you are doing that, let me, uh, let me just kind of tell you where we're going over the next couple weeks. So we're going to finish Romans next week, and then uh, the week after Easter, uh, we're, we're intending to start a new series. Now, um, the official title for that series is going to be Battlegrounds. That's, that's Jarrett's creative title, which he gave me, because mine was Not Your Grandma's Spiritual Warfare Series series. <laughs> so I might refer to it at some point, but that's what we're going to do. Say what? Oh, you like that better. Yeah, yeah. I don't put my energy into creativity very often. Um, and so what we're going to do over the course of the summer, much of the summer, not every single Sunday, we'll take a few Sundays off, but we're going to be looking at things like what does the Bible say about who Satan is and what he does, demons and what he does, or they do. How do they interact with the world that we live in and with, with us, and how do we respond? Um, it's going to be looking at things that maybe you've never associated with the demonic that the scriptures do. And so um, part of us doing that is we are, called to, uh, that we are told that our battle is not against flesh and blood. And Ephesians 6, well, guess what? Ignorance is a very poor battle strategy. And so we need to be aware of how the enemy works, what their tactics are, and, and how that looks today, and then how we respond to that. So that's the plan going in for the summer. So that's where we're going starting after Easter, but we've got two weeks left of Romans here. Romans chapter 16, verse 17, just a few verses this morning. Um, when I, um, before I was married, I was teaching a young adults Bible study uh, with the church I was at at the time. And we had, we, had, we had a decent-sized group, and that's where I met my wife. That's where she fell in love with me. <laughs> After about a year and a half of being annoyed by my arrogance. Is that, is that fair? I just, yeah, and then, you know, anyway. Um, and so, um, but in that study, there was a guy, his name was Daniel. Now, Daniel ended up being, um, he was a, a new believer when he came to us in Christ, and he was very rapidly grown. He was hungry, right? You could tell he was soaking everything up. And um, Daniel met his wife. We set this study out not to be a singles Bible study. I was adamant that this was not a singles Bible study. And uh, we had three of us find wives in that study, you know? And, and so it just, anyway, he found his wife in that study. Her name was Lisa. And uh, they got married. Well, Daniel was actually in our wedding as well. He stood up beside me as one of uh, the groomsmen. Daniel was very hungry. He was, he was consuming anything that he could get to grow in Christianity uh, in his understanding of the faith. He got on staff at a church, just doing administrative stuff, but he wanted to just be surrounded by that. He was, he was, he was on a very good course. Um, I, I loved seeing the growth. I loved spending the time with him. Um, I, I just, that, that's the kind of thing that lights my fire, right? And um, somewhere along the way, Daniel, sometime after we got married, Daniel got into some kind of teaching that started to lead him away from Christianity. He, he started to give in to some desires that he had, and he started to chase those desires. And some of those desires were drugs, in his case. And ultimately, his body was found on the back of a, a convenience store in a dumpster. Now, that's a pretty dramatic ending to the story, and I don't mean to say that every person who goes after false teaching is going to end up in the back of a convenience store dumpster. But this was one that marked me. Because here's a man, that I, and a young man I was close to, I was watching. I, I mean, I would have told you he is a genuine believer in the Lord and he is growing, growing, and, and there's going to be just great road of ministry ahead of him. And then he got swept away. But I don't even know what the teaching was. 
I, I don't know what it was that got to him where he decided that what he had been learning and standing on was no longer good or solid or right. But that's just one story of many, I could tell you, just of people I know personally. People who have been growing up in Christian homes or uh, who were, were solid leading their youth group, who were on fire for Christ in college, and then something happened. They got swept away by some kind of teaching that was opposed to the gospel, opposed to Christ, and then they're no longer in the faith. I, I could tell you story on top of story. And some of you, I've seen you nodding already. You have those stories. It's a real concern, and it's a real, uh, a real temptation for every believer in Christ to get swept away by something that opposes the gospel. And it's not new. And Paul knew that. And so as he's wrapping up his letter in these verses, he's going to caution his, his readers to watch out for such things. And so when it, when it comes to these verses this morning, here's how I'm, I'm, I'm summing this up. Be discerning in what you receive. And that would be like the teachings you receive. Be discerning in what you receive so that what you receive does not make you deceived because it happens so quickly and so subtly at times. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point some things out this morning that, that might step on toes, and, 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 I, and I hope you're open to hearing it, but there's things that are deceiving us. There's things that are deceiving some of you, and it's coming under the umbrella of Christianity. It's coming under the umbrella of the gospel, and it has nothing to do with those things. And so just like Paul would say to his, his, uh, his readers to watch out, I'm saying to us, we've got to be discerning in what we receive so that what we receive does not make us deceived. So let's, let's jump in and take a look at what we're looking at. So chapter 16, verse 17, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. So just this verse alone, Paul, Paul brackets it. He, he sandwiches it with these warnings. Watch out and avoid them. And in between those two warnings, to watch out and avoid is what he's telling his readers to watch out for. Those people who cause divisions and create obstacles that are contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. So divisions, there was a group of people, there always is people, there, there's always groups of people who want to bring division to the church. And so the way you see this is, is, there, is there a group of people in the church or in a, in a congregation who they, they group together and they cause division among the rest of the body. That's what Paul was seeing. There was people slipping in these churches, calling themselves Christians. Perhaps they were, perhaps they weren't, but they were slipping in and their goal was to bring division. Their goal was to, to separate the people so that there was no unity. Now, why is that a big deal? I mean, people disagree all the time. Why is it a big deal that there would be division in the body of Christ, in the church? Because the body of Christ is supposed to be a united group of people. The body of Christ is a group of people who all share in the same Holy Spirit that indwells us, who are all connected to the same Jesus, our God and Savior, right? We are part of the same group. And Jesus, before he left this earth in John 17, one of the things he prayed for was unity among believers. Why? Because when there's unity among believers in Christ, people know they're the people of God. But where there's division, 
the gospel starts to get distorted and people will look from the outside and go, if they can't even get along and they say they're brothers and sisters in Christ, they say they have the same set of beliefs, then, then why should we bother being a part of that? And it keeps people from coming to Christ. Paul's concerned about divisions. There were people that were doing that. And so he says, there are those who cause divisions. And then he says, they create obstacles. They put things before you that cause you to stumble, that cause you to turn away, that cause you to get distracted from the doctrine that you've been taught, which would be the things that, that the gospel is, is built on. And so Paul had not actually been to this church. So he wasn't actually the one who had taught them the things they knew. Right? But, but perhaps Priscilla and Aquila or, or some of the other people that came uh, from Rome and were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, they brought the gospel back. But nonetheless, this was an established church. And Paul has just spent uh, this whole letter unpacking for them what God has done for them in Christ and, and how the wrath of God is against all unrighteousness of humanity. And no one can escape that except God has done for those who can't do for themselves in Christ. And, and he has unpacked all that God has done in Christ. So he's unpacked it and he's saying that kind of doctrine, that, those things, there are some who put an obstacle before you. And it's an obstacle that's intent on causing you to turn away, to forsake it, to, to no longer trust in the gospel, but instead to trust in other things. And this could be, this could be sin, this could be temptations, this could be legalism, um, things that you can do in order to uh, increase your spirituality and make God more favored with you or some, stuff like that, right? There's all kinds of things that Paul was dealing with in his day, but he's saying, you've got to watch out for those things. You've got to watch out for those who cause divisions and those who create obstacles, especially when it's contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, which means they had to know what they've been taught. Because if you don't know what you've been taught and you don't have a standard, you don't know when you're drifting away from the standard, right? If, if you don't have um, and the, the word orthodoxy, by the way, if you've ever heard us say orthodoxy, what that means in its basic sense is a standard. It's, it's parameters. It's what's within the bounds of orthodoxy, we would say, what's in the bounds of right, accurate Christian teaching, Right? And so, so um, if you don't have an orthodox standard, what's right, what, what, what are the essentials of the faith, if that's not clear, then you're going to drift away from it. And so he says you need to watch out for those things that are going to cause you um, to, to be contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. So you have to know what you've been taught. So he says avoid them. Right? This, is, this is not one of those cases where believers in Christ should welcome people in, which is something Paul's been saying in this letter. Welcome those you disagree with in. Not on this kind of stuff, he says. This kind of stuff, you have people who are falsely teaching things that are contrary to Christ, and they know that they are. They're, they're not just simply deceived people who are ignorant of what's right and what's wrong, and they've gotten caught up. No, these are people who are going in, and they're intentionally causing divisions. These are the type of people that believers in Christ and churches have to watch out for, even avoid, Paul says, because of the risk, because of the danger that comes if you bring them close. All right, he goes on in verse 18. Verse 18. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So still describing those who cause division and put obstacles before him, he says, these people, they're not serving the Lord Christ. Their motive is not to teach you the things of Christ so that you would know God better, that you would be drawn to Christ. He says, that's not, their, that's not their motive. Instead, their motive is their own appetites, or some of your translations go very literal and say their own bellies, 
right? And, and the idea, there, there, there's a couple things that could be in that. There could be a very literal idea of the teachings that they're, they're, they're putting forward have to do with gluttony and overindulgence of food and such things. Could be, right? Probably more than that. What oftentimes gets, when they said your own appetites are their own bellies, what oftentimes is, is included in that is not only the overindulgence of food, that's just the picture of the overindulgence of every other desire that we might have. And so they're seeking to serve their own appetites would be they're seeking to fulfill their own desires, chase their own desires, be satisfied in their own desires, do what makes them happy, even if happiness is indulging in sin. That's their motives. Or it could be to to get them their own wealth built up. He says they're not serving the Lord Christ, but their own appetites. Now, the tricky thing about these, these people is they use smooth talk and flattery. Like they're, they're easy to talk to. They're easy to listen to. When you, when you hear what they're, they're presenting to you, it might even make perfect sense because of the way they present it. They might seem so sincere. They might be uh, coming off as genuinely concerned for you. And all of that helps what they're teaching slip under the radar so that ultimately they deceive the hearts of the naive. That's Paul's concern is that those who are naive, or the word there is innocent, and, and it's not bad to be innocent, so to speak, but what Paul's getting at is if you are not aware of the threat and the types of teachings that are coming your way and you're not able to filter those through the doctrine, the teaching you've been taught so that you can see and identify error and things that are opposed to Christ, if you can't see that and you're naive to that, then because of the way these things are presented, it's going to come right under your radar. You're going to say, oh, they used the Bible verse. Therefore, it must be scriptural. It must be biblical. It must be Christian, right? And then you're going to start to incorporate that into your set of beliefs, all the while never realizing that that was a new age belief. And someone just took a Bible verse that supports that. And now you're starting to buy into new age theology. And it's like that kind of thing. He says, that's how easy it is. Smooth talk and flattery. That, that's it. It's just, you, you get someone who's real polished. You get someone who can present well, who can string together some sentences and make sense. And there are people who are going to forsake the things that are taught and they're going to be deceived. Now, listen, I'm going to camp here for a little bit. The church in general across the world has a lot of naive Christians people who are young in the faith or not mature in their understanding of the, the doctrines or the teachings of the scripture. And we live in a society that is uh, very heavy on information and we are constantly bombarded with information and we all want to be inspired and we all want to have some kind of nugget to get through our day, right? And so when you combine that and the society we're in that's heavy, heavy on pushing information, you have a lot of naive Christians being deceived, and they don't even realize it. Part of this, I think, is because we, as Christians as a whole, I, I, I'd say particularly um, American Christians, and we can speak to that a little more specifically, particularly American Christians because of the wealth and abundance of resources and churches and teaching by Christian pastors and teachers, because we have all of this, it actually, I think, leaves us biblically starved. 
And so we don't realize that. We're, we're biblically starved. It's like we, we have a diet. If we take this to food, we have a diet of primarily processed foods, right? They, they're good. They satisfy us for the moment. But 30 minutes or an hour later, we're still hungry. Why? Because those processed foods, they, they lack the nutrients that sustain our body. There's no good fats in them that help satisfy and satiate hunger. There, there's no good protein in them. We're just getting all that processed carb and it's satisfying us for the moment. It's a snack, but it ultimately leaves us still hungry, even more so hungry. And we're biblically starved in that way. We think we're eating, we think we're nourishing ourselves, and that the things that we're nourishing ourselves with ultimately leave us hungrier. And so then we look for more things. And rather than, than, than turning toward the, the good whole food of the word, the meat, right? So when we go back to your nutrition, when you eat whole foods, and that's just a simple way of saying things that are one ingredient, maybe two or three mixed together, right? Real food, right? When you eat those things and you eat good fats like avocado or, or the good oils, it satisfies you for a lot longer. And when you adjust your nutritional uh, uh, eating, you, you find the difference and, you, and it becomes evident to you, right? And so you start to, your body is nourished and it's capable of doing things. And, and then you start to recognize the junk when you introduce it again or when it comes your way, right? That's how we are with the Bible. I think the large majority of American Christians are biblically unnourished, undernourished. And so what happens is we're satisfying ourselves, trying to satisfy ourselves on processed things, and that would look like this, simply only ever reading devotionals. Devotionals are good, but they're not meant to be your nutritional diet that you live your life on. They're meant to cause you to prick you to think, cause you to think and turn your thoughts to the Lord in a quick few moments, but they are not meant to sustain and satisfy you. They, they don't grow deep roots you, because what you're depending upon in a, in a devotional is someone else's experience with the Lord and their experience with the Lord may not actually be an experience with the Lord right? But they're just writing it down and it's inspirational and it's got a Bible verse next to it. And so we are, we are deceived and thinking, well, I'm, I'm reading my devotional. And what I'm saying to you is that kind of diet on a regular basis does not prepare us to recognize the things that are false teaching that are slipping in all over the place. Instead, what we've got to do is nourish ourselves on the word, the revealed word of God, which is recorded in the 66 books that we call the Bible, because God has revealed so much about who he is, how he operates. And listen, there's, there's plenty there for us to be satisfied and keep eating the rest of our lives, right? And maybe you think, yeah, but, but I can't sit down and read the Bible because it's boring. Listen, that's because we've been conditioned by processed food, biblically speaking, we have been conditioned that I need the quick fix. I need the quick satisfaction. I need the thing that's just going to satisfy me now. I'll worry about later, later. I'll just get another snack, right? But as I start to study the scriptures and start to just read large chunks of the scriptures, I start to see who God is more clearly. I start to understand how he's revealed himself, what he's like, what he's not like. I learn his voice, and I, and I don't necessarily just mean audible voice. What I mean, the scripture talks about God's voice. It's about who he is. It, it's how he's revealed himself, how he leads and guides people, the things that he says are good and right and things that are not, right? The more I read the scripture in large chunks and the more I dig into that, the more I know his voice. And so when some, some other voice comes and wants to tell me that this is of God, I'm able to discern that. I'm able to cut through that and say, that will not satisfy because it's not based on what's true and what's right, okay? So 
Paul's concerned about that. They deceived the hearts of the naive. Now, I'm going to come back to some of this on the, on, on the backside here, but Back in January of 2021, on January 10th of 2021, we did a, a message, um, the gospel and culture issues. And in that message, we talked about critical race theory. We talked about Marxism, neo-Marxism. We talked about the social justice movement. And we talked about progressive Christianity. And I was sounding the alarm for you. Now, at the time, I think most of you didn't know about critical race theory, but it has blown up since then. You know about it now. And, and you know that this is something that's being pushed, that this is the right way to think about things. Now, I'm not going to dig too deep into that one today. I, I briefly mentioned the progressive Christianity. And I gave you some descriptions of progressive Christianity, what, what's called progressive Christianity, because the, the reason they, 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 they call themselves progressive is because they think they are improving on things, right? And so where the scripture speaks, they're improving on some of that. They're, they're progressing forward. And so they still call themselves Christians. Maybe they use the Bible, maybe they don't. But this is eating our lunch, it is eating our lunch. Listen, the things that, that, that go with progressive Christianity. The Bible is simply a human book written by human authors devoid of any divine inspiration. And so therefore it has errors and it does not carry the authority of God. That is a primary teaching in progressive Christian churches. We have at least two, maybe three of those in El Reno. Okay? And I'm not naming them. You can figure it out. Right? But, but where the Bible is no longer the authority, you go looking for another authority and guess what that authority becomes? Me or you or a group of us or someone who inspires us. Right? So the Bible is not the word of God. It does not carry the authority. Well, as soon as you get rid of that authority, that opens the door for all kinds of things. And so the gospel, no, the gospel's not about Jesus dying on the cross for sinful people and raising from the dead so that they might believe in him and be reconciled to God. No, because sin's not a problem for progressive Christianity. And that, that, that gospel that, that all these other Christians teach where there's a, a savior, the son of God, supposedly dying on the cross uh, and, and God, his father, pouring out his wrath on him towards the judgment of sin for others, that's just cosmic child abuse. Because how could a loving father put his own son to death? That's the teaching in progressive Christianity. And so you remove then the, the necessity of Christ on the cross, dying on behalf of guilty, sinful people and raising from the dead. You remove the, 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 the impact of my sinfulness, your sinfulness, uh, and how it violates the glory of God. And instead what happens in progressive Christianity, because as soon as you move the Bible out of the way, it's no longer authoritative. Authoritative. As soon as you, you, you take away and water down the gospel, the gospel is not about content, it's about what you do. And so do, being, the, uh, being people of the gospel are being people who go and show compassion to others, just like Jesus showed compassion to others. And Jesus accepted everybody regardless of their sins. And so we've got to accept everybody regardless of their sins. And, and so that's the gospel. It's repackaged. The gospel is no longer about sinners being reconciled to a holy God. It's about sinners going and propagating their sin and calling it love and social justice. I gotta dial it back because um, I'm not even to the end yet. All right, so, so, so listen, this is slipping in, okay? Next, and this is, this is what's eating our lunch. Next, with progressive Christianity because the Bible's not authoritative because sin is no longer defined by what God says is sin, but what I say is sin, my happiness gets elevated. I do what makes me happy. That's what God wants. He's loving. And he would want me, his child, to be happy at whatever cost. 
And, and so I've been oppressed for all these years by these Christians who have said, this is not what you should do. It's sinful, but I thought that would make me happy. And so I've, I'm breaking free. Listen, mm, I heard that this week, this guy's on TikTok. I, I'm not on TikTok, but this guy's on TikTok and I saw it. And his, uh, I can't remember his name now, but he went to John chapter 11, Lazarus coming out of the tomb. And he starts out on this TikTok video and he says, God wants you to come out of the closet. <laughs> right, because did you know that Jesus called his friend out of the closet? And then he goes to explain how Lazarus was in this tomb, this dark, oppressive, dank tomb for three days. And then he, he makes this huge gymnastic leap, which is outside of the context to that tomb represents the things that have been oppressing you and the people that have been pushing you down and holding you down. And Jesus says to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. And Jesus is saying to you, come out. And he took the scriptures and he, he gave an explanation, if you can call it that, and then he said, and therefore God is saying to you, this is progressive Christianity. This is seeping in and you and I and others are being infiltrated with it and some of us don't even realize it. I have family members impacted by this. You have family members impacted by this. I just learned of a friend last night, someone that we were close to in our family, some of you were close to in your family who was raised in a good, solid Baptist church. And, and, and went to a good, solid Baptist youth group, right? Why do I say Baptist? Because I think most of you, when you see her Baptist, you think, oh, yeah, yeah, good teaching, right? right. And it probably was, right? And, and they were plugged in in college and, 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 and connected to a good, solid church, right? And I guess a few weeks ago, months ago maybe, she decided that she has been oppressing, uh, suppressing her happiness for years and spent years hating herself. And so now she's finally being free once she chose her happiness. This is someone who we would have all said, man, she's solid. She's plugged in. She's serving. She's been well-grounded. This is eating our lunch. Why? Because I don't think our roots are deep enough. I don't think we are growing deep enough roots saturated and nourished on the word of God and who God actually says he is and what he actually says is right and wrong. And instead, we are naive and there's smooth talk and there's flattery and we're taking our theology from the, the, the POTUS when the POTUS says that transgender people are made in the image of God, so therefore parents, you must affirm them. Now, he was half right. All people are made in the image of God regardless of what sin you choose to be a part of or, or you're in. But being made in the image of God does not mean God says we approve or affirm everything and anything that you do. So he's half right, right? And people are taking their theology from him or they're taking their theology from government agencies. And if you work for government agencies or if you're in the education system, you're likely having this crammed down your throat in some way or another. And it's packaged in ways that sound smooth and it's flattering. And you think, this is the best way that I can love people. And so then we're being deceived, just like people who have naive hearts. I've got a little more to say on that at the end. All right. I'm just, I'm just tired of seeing people swept away. I'm, I'm tired of seeing people who we're, we're pouring into or you're pouring into, and then some smooth talk or some Instagram meme comes along and hits them right there in the fields, and it makes them feel happy, and so now they're going to chase that happiness. 
And there's gonna be people affirming that all over the place. There's gonna be a community ready to accept them. And I'm not just talking about certain types of sin. I'm not about any of it because there are people willing and ready to accept. And where there's community, that's gonna draw people in. All right, verse 19. He says, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Now, why does Paul say, for your obedience is known to all? Because he wants to make sure they know, hey, we know you're being obedient. I'm not saying you're necessarily being deceived at this point. We know that. But also, your obedience makes you a target. When you've got a group of people who claim Christ and are standing firm on the gospel and they're living that out, you become a target. Guess what? And the battle's not against flesh and blood. It's against these spiritual powers behind things. And those spiritual powers, they energize people. And it may come in all kinds of forms. It may come in the form of government oppression. It may come in the form of someone filing a lawsuit against the the church for discriminating. It, It may come in your workplace for people, they shun you or they disown you and they say you're not welcome here unless you subscribe to this. Or they prevent you from doing things because you're standing firm. It comes in all kinds of packaging. But when your obedience is known, it makes you a target. He says, I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise to what is good and innocent to what is evil. So he makes a play on the words there. He says, I I want you to understand what's good. I want you to be able to live out what's good. And when it comes to innocent, uh, it comes to evil, I want you to be innocent to that. I, I don't want you to know about that. I don't want you to know how to do it. He's not saying I want you to be like an ostrich or whatever where your your head's in the sand and that's the way you avoid things is by just not not ever listening to it. You can't separate yourself from this world. You, You can't get out of it. Jesus says that we are in it, but we're not supposed to be of it. And so we have to have a discerning antenna up so that we are able to know. And if you're a parent or a grandparent, you have to improve this now because your kids are being led astray and they will continue to be led astray if you are not discerning and you don't teach them to be discerning. You have to teach them how to think because they are being bombarded with all kinds of stuff. You, you don't want innocent to what is evil, meaning they're completely sheltered and they have no clue that these things go on because the first time they step foot in a high school classroom or a college classroom and they've never heard someone pick apart the Bible, they won't be able to think about that. They won't be able to understand that. Their brain will just snap like a rubber band that's never been stretched. Stretch your kids' brain now with biblical truth so that it has the appropriate level of give. Teach them how to think and how to evaluate. Teach them how to ask questions so that they're they're innocent to what is evil, meaning they don't participate in it because they recognize it and they don't really know a whole lot about it personally. Paul says, I want you to be innocent to this. Verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So Paul, Paul then talks, after talking about these false teachers, and he says, listen, these false teachers, they're energized by Satan. These false teachers, they're teaching things that are opposed to Christ and opposed to the gospel. That's what the enemy has been doing from day one when he rebelled against God. He is opposed to God, and so he influences others to be opposed to God. And so he says the God of peace, the one who brings peace between God and people, and the one who establishes peace between all kinds of different people, because remember, Paul's writing to a church that's divided. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. 
soon, which means it's not yet, at least in Paul's day, and I'd say not yet in our day. Here's what Paul's likely referring to. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the curse on the serpent, and the serpent in the garden was Satan. God says to him, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. The offspring of the woman, we are ultimately told, is Christ. And then those who are in Christ are also offspring of the woman. So I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, the offspring of the woman, shall bruise your, the serpent's head, and you shall bruise his heel. All right? Ultimately, there, there's some, some pointing to the death of Christ. Certainly in that, where the you shall bruise his heel, that will, will be the death of Christ, right? But ultimately, he's going to bruise your head. There's going to be a death blow. Paul could be referring to that. Also, look at Paul's own words in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24 to 26. Then comes the end, when he, the Son of God, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father. After destroying every rule, that's a way of talking about spiritual beings, every rule and every authority, it's a way of talking about spiritual beings, and power, that's a way of talking about spiritual beings. When Paul talks about rule, power, and authorities, that's his way of talking about spiritual beings. So after destroying every rule and every authority and every power, for he, Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Jesus will reign at the right hand of God the Father until he puts every enemy under his feet. And then ultimately the last enemy to be destroyed is death, which is when Christ comes back and the resurrection takes place. So Christ is currently sitting at the right hand of God the Father and, and he is currently ruling. But Paul back here, he says, God will soon crush, which means it hasn't happened yet because death has also not been defeated yet. It, and so here's, what, here's how we talk about this. When Jesus died, the death sentence for, for Satan was established. He was defeated in Jesus' death. The resurrection from the dead sealed that defeat. It guarantees that it's accomplished. And now we're waiting as Christ reigns and rules. And as nations are drawn back to Christ who have been led astray. And when that day is up, then Christ will come back. And the kingdom will be handed over to the Father. And death will no longer reign. Okay? He says, I'm confident the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's an encouragement. He's saying, hey, don't be associated with these people. These people that are teaching these things, they're, they're, they're joined with the enemy. They will be crushed. You don't want to be a partaker in something that ultimately God is going to crush. But there's grace that's needed for the battle. And so Paul issues this blessing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. All right. And he's... He's, he says some things in these, in these uh, last few verses. There's some greetings. I want to just pull out a few of them. Obviously, Timothy, some of you know Timothy. He was Paul's young disciple, a fellow worker. Greets you, said as Lucius and Jason. We don't know a lot about these people. Jason, we learn about in Acts. Sosi Powder, we also learn about in Acts. And then my kinsmen, which would be a reference to Jewish people, Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. This one I wanted to draw your attention to so it doesn't trip you up. Verse 22, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greets you in the Lord. You, I thought Paul wrote this letter. I, I'm not sure what that extra U is. I messed up on the delete. Um, it's not in your scriptures. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter? Well, I thought Paul wrote this letter. Paul did write this letter. But it was a very common practice in that day for one person to dictate while someone else actually wrote. It was very common. And sometimes in, at the end of those letters, then the person who was actually penning the letter would then issue his own greetings. And that's all we've got going on is. The contents from Paul, just, just inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, 
but Tertius was the secretary, the one writing it down so that it could be delivered. Gaius, uh, we learn about him. That's one of the ones Paul baptized, actually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where he says, hey, I'm grateful I didn't baptize many of you except for, and one of the ones he names is Gaius, who is a host to me in the whole church. So Gaius had a house church in Corinth. In fact, it looks like he hosted the entire church in Corinth. So he either had a very large house or the church in Corinth was, was small enough to fit inside of his house. So 50 to 70 people is typical house. And then Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. All right? But obviously I spent a lot of time on that first part. Be discerning in what you receive so that what you receive does not make you deceived. And I hammered, and I want you to hear that, progressive Christianity. Read up on it. A great, great resource is Lisa Childers. She has podcasts on YouTube. She has podcasts on any of your podcast stations that you listen to. Alicia Childers, I'm sure, wrote a book called Another Gospel. It's worth your read. Um, she, she is constantly talking about progressive Christianity. You need to be aware of it because you're interacting with it every day, and you probably don't realize it. And it's slipping under the radar. And we have to be discerning, otherwise we'll be deceived. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and just close us out and then uh, ask the Lord, just help us to understand what he wants us to hear. So Father, I know, I know my passion is, is rising up, and I pray it's yours as well. I know, I know, I know there are so many things coming at us. And Father, we're, we, we are so often deceived by things that look shiny, sound good, sound loving, sound like the right thing to do, sound Christian. God, help us to know your voice and to hear it and know it louder than any other voice. The way we know a counterfeit is not to, not to study all the different types of counterfeits, but to know the real thing. So that when something is contrary to the real thing, we can spot it. Even if we can't get all the, 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 the details of why it's wrong, we know it's wrong. And it goes against who you are and it violates your glory. God, help us to be more discerning. Grow our roots spiritually so that we might be people more rooted in the word and guided by the spirit. We need both. And let your spirit teach us and give us understanding. And Father, where we are interacting with people who are caught up in this, maybe they're intentionally deceiving and rejecting Christ. In those moments, God, give us words of boldness to speak against that and to call them to repentance. And then where there's places where people are just caught up and they're being deceived, give us words of grace, although seasoned with salt, seasoned with the truth of the scriptures and the gospel, that we might know how to speak in those moments and help people who are caught up in, in sin and false teaching to discern why this is opposed to God, why it's opposed to the gospel. God, protect us from, from, from being led astray. Show us, show us now where we might be. Help us to see it. Help us to hear more clearly. And then, God, help us to be a people who then proclaim what's true and what's right, not who hide, not who build walls and barriers to protect ourselves at the expense of others, but to who have the truth, who have the spirit to take that into this world and proclaim it among all the people that we interact with so that, God, you would receive glory and people would be drawn to you. And I pray that and I ask you, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you guys.